Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, March 9th, 2018. To follow our normal Friday format, it's going to just be all over the place. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy, bizarre nonsensical, non-lucid things being said about God, and God hasn't said any of those things. And so uh, this is a compare and contrast program, if you would, where we open up God's Word when possible. I have to almost say it that way now. Uh, We open up God's Word to check to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. (coughs) Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching, that is being put out there for consumption by Christians is Looney Tunes. (laughs) It doesn't even come close what God's word says. In fact, there's just a lot of people who aren't even trying anymore. <laughs> They'd make no effort. It's uh, so frustrating. And the weirder part about that is, you know, I'm the guy pointing this out. <laughs> and people say, you, uh, you have a religious spirit. You're a Pharisee. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's not how that works. Ah, <clears throat> yeah, it's just a, Occupational hazard, I guess, for what I do. So um, it's Friday. We're in, uh, although we had a truncated week, we're going to be doing our normal Friday thing here, and uh, and so there is no theme for today, just none whatsoever. So uh, we're going to be heading over to the YouTube channel for the Elijah list, and they published a video on February twenty second with Cat Kerr, and. Um, <laughs> I mean, this this lady has pink hair, and this is a lady we will remind you who was one of the people out there during last fall's hurricane season here in the United States 
was out there commanding and controlling a hurricane to leave, you know, to head out back to sea, and it didn't pan out that way at all. And it, it's not like this was it happened, you know, off in a dark corner of the internet. I mean, the, the internet was buzzing with this embarrassingly bad uh, inability of Cat Kerr to send the hurricane out to sea. Well, the the uh, head of the Elijah List has decided to interview her and post the video. Uh, and it looks, based upon the conversation, it looks like this video was recorded towards the beginning of the year, and she's just making some absurd claims and not backing any of it up. This is one of those cases where clearly this woman is not telling the truth. And yet the, the head of the Elijah List seems to think that she's totally on the level. No, she really is not. So uh, then um, we're going to be heading over to the um, YouTube channel for Sid Roth's It's Supernatural. And we're going to listen as he explains some of the supernatural, you have to put that in air quotes, things that apparently Smith Wigglesworth did. Uh, who knew? But uh, Smith, Smith Wigglesworth was like the early Pentecostal answer to Todd Bentley. Yeah, you'll hear that in the uh, segments that we play. Somewhere in there, we're going to have to take a break. And uh, and then we come back. It's doom and gloom coming soon, folks. Yeah, no joke. Uh, you know, the rapture, it's, 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 it's going to be happening this month. And when, we're not exactly sure. Some people are saying the 16th or the 17th. And by the way, since I already already survived the end of the world at the end of February, I didn't even know that it was the end of the world. I'm up to 15 times. I've survived the end of the world 15 times now, and it'll be 16 before we get to the end of March, maybe even 17. My uh, my end of the world survival count is <laughs> jumping exponentially. So we're going to be le- listening to Steve Fletcher as uh, he tries to explain to us how the fact that Lazarus rises um, before the Passover in, in Scripture, <laughs> that means, oh, man, it. That rapture thing is just right around the corner, dude. So uh, then uh, to end up, we'll uh, listen to a part of a sermon from Victory in Tul- Victor- Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, pa- Pastrix Sharon Dougherty is going to explain to us how to hear the voice of God. Yeah, it's, I don't know why I need a pastor or a Pastrix to tell me this, uh, because I hear the voice of God every day. Mm-hmm. I open up the written word of God and read it. If I want to hear God's voice out loud, I read it out loud or I have somebody read it to me. Yep. So, uh, and then hour number two, uh, got to continue with this uh, series of uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley's on Luther's Heidelberg Theses. And uh, we're going to go out of order. We're going to actually play uh, the one that he delivered recently uh, titled Two Sorts of Theologian, Two Sorts of of theologians. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We we literally have got a lot of ground to cover and it's like we're going to be off-roading. It's that crazy. But uh let's do this since we're starting with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Here we go. Oh, hallelujah.
So we're heading over to Elijah Streams, uh, which is the YouTube channel for the Elijah List. Is uh, is it Steve Schertz? Schertz? Yeah. The uh, head of the Elijah List is going to be introducing Cat Kerr. And seriously, how does anybody take Cat Kerr seriously? Notice the double serious there. After the whole trying to send Hurricane Irma off the coast of Florida, and it didn't happen. This woman is Looney Tunes. And, uh, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying, but here's the Elijah list officially endorsing and listening to her as if she's really, you know, tight with Jesus and stuff when she's not. Steve Schultz here with Elijah List Ministries and Elijah Streams TV. Uh, we wanted to welcome you here today. So today I'm especially excited to have Kat Kerr. Kat, how are you doing? Good to see you. Doing great. It's, about, it's been a few months since we've been together. Yes, it has. It's about time. Kat has uh, had been taken to heaven many, many times. Oh. No, she has not been taken to heaven many, many times. <laughs> Listen to what she says, though. Of course, he has, what, 20 years or more? 20 years, yes. Almost every day. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I go up to heaven almost every day. Yeah, yeah, I was like, you know, I got an apartment or a condo up there. Yeah, she just, you know, what on earth? Talk about a strong delusion. I mean, seriously, this is like jaw-droppingly bizarre, strong delusion. Is that every day, almost every day? Almost every day, but he just catches me up, so... Usually, he doesn't give any announcement or anything. He just takes me up if he wants to show me something wow. or say something important for the body of Christ to know or if the world's interested. Yeah, well, we're going to find out just how important some of this stuff is, you know. Let me just jump to back last year for a minute, and then we'll jump into 2018. You were one of only three or four people that I could just put my finger on and say, these people knew long ahead of time yeah. exactly who would be elected president, Tell me a couple, just a couple of things about what God had told you months and months ahead of time before right. Trump. Even before Trump ran, even before that election was planned, God had been telling me that I'm going to uh, make America greater than ever. It's about to step into his destiny. But I can't make America greater than ever. and We're going to step into our destiny. Yeah. It's about time. Yeah. Been waiting for that my whole life. Yeah. Start this until I shift the government, and there will be a president in the White House one day that will extend their hand to to the believers. So I knew that was coming, and when he told me that he caught me up to heaven literally months and months and months before, and he said, "I've chosen Trump, and people won't like it, and they won't (laughs) understand it, 
But that doesn't matter right now because I'm going to change America and I need him. He's an all-American boy that is all for America and he is smart. He can't be bought. He can't be moved and he cannot be controlled. And he said he will know me and he will hear my voice. And he said from the time he sits in the White House, America will not have a boring day. <laughs> I remember you saying that. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had any boring days since he took office. Now, I'd like to remind you, going back in time to September of last year, uh, here's a uh, Facebook live stream that Kat Kerr did uh, as, uh, I think it was Hurricane Irma that was uh, barreling towards the Florida coast. Can't move them around. You're on. Yon? Yes, go ahead. Hello, this is Kat Kerr reporting from Atlantic Beach in Florida. I have just flown in from my meetings in Seattle, Washington, and yet I still have an assignment left to do. I'm going to demonstrate to you what to do when a storm comes, okay? It's forming into a hurricane. I don't even want to give it a name. It doesn't even deserve a name. But I am going to take authority over it so you, I can demonstrate once again. She's taking authority over it. Yeah, this didn't work out, by the way. That, that hurricane went barreling right into Miami. And how you deal with this because we as believers are over the weather we are not under the weather christ had no issue stopping storms that was no little storm that he dealt with we are joint heirs with him and you need to be just as bold and passionate in your authority in this earth so i'm going to demonstrate to you i'm here in florida on the coast the ocean's right there our ocean is right there the atlantic ocean and we are north of the storm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit it off the coast. I'm going to command it to go out to sea and dissipate. At the same time, because it's growing, when it grows in strength, it's feeding from a low pressure system. So what do you need? You need high pressure. That storm itself has millibars of pressure. The lower they go, the stronger the storm. So what do you do? You have to command the millibars to rise in the hurricane so it will dissipate and be downgraded. I'm about to do that. So I'm going to take a thought. No, she's not. <laughs> she ain't about to do nothing except for make a fool of herself. So, Father, as your daughter and as a joint heir with Jesus Christ and as a king in the spirit realm, I make a ruling that storm will leave this area, will leave the coast. I will not tolerate its presence anywhere on the coast of Florida. And I am commanding it to leave and get back out in the ocean. At the same time, it will dissipate. So I command the millibars in that hurricane, you rise right now. You keep rising and rising and rising so the storm will be downgraded, downgraded, downgraded. And then I'm commanding a high to come and sit on the storm so it can be crushed. So here I go. I'm going to command that storm and I'm going to hit it. She has like a wizard staff or something that she's, she just took a baseball swing. And yeah, so this woman who has like zero credibility, in fact, probably should be locked up. Uh -huh. I mean, I think she's a real bona fide candidate for somebody who has a bona fide mental illness. Looney Tunes. Here, Steve Schultz of uh, the Elijah List is literally like interviewing her. Like, 
She's like a total prophetess, man. She goes to heaven all the time. I wish I did. She just practically goes up every day. And, and she's she knows all the things that are going to be happening because God just tells her because, you know. No, God ain't talking to this woman. The voices in her head are because of problems, not because of God. And I think about that all the time. Let me, before we jump into this, let me ask this thing about Trump, okay? I've had people, good, godly believers, and they're all upset. And the way I would define it is they're, they're, they're kind of upset because he's not acting like pastor-in-chief. And I said to these friends, I said, but he, we didn't elect a pastor-in-chief. Right. We elected a commander-in-chief. So You're from right. God's viewpoint, does he ever talk with you about that? A lot. He talks to me about many things about Trump. Number one... The people he's positioning now on the earth to be leaders yeah. is because of their generational line. He's part of a, an amazing generational line that paid a price with their life for the gospel. Trump. I'm talking about Trump. Yeah. His family, you are. Okay. And you sure God told you this? Okay. Lineage has got powerful believers, men and women of God, wow. Wow. even pastors in, in his line. And in this time on the earth, much fruit will take place. Many things will happen. This time on the earth, much fruit will take place. What does that sentence mean? Hey, there's going to be much fruit that t is taking place. You know, in the month of March, much fruit's going to be happening. <laughs> if anyone talks like this, you can be like, what do you mean that much fruit's going to happen? Ugh that have never happened before. And he is positioning people to be leaders in the government, in business, and in... He's positioning people to be leaders. Yeah. Whew. In the government. Yeah. The government generally does tend to be filled with leaders. I'm glad that God's finally positioning some people you know, to be leaders and stuff in the government. Notice the the total vapidity of this nonsense. Nothing lucid. This woman is just n nonsensical. Church. And one of the things the father said was, I've chosen him, but the people need to know, uh, you don't need a pastor in the White House right now. now. Now she's just parroting back what Steve Schultz said. Yeah, well, people are upset because he's not behaving like pastor-in-chief. And so, so apparently now... Concurrent with us, God told Kat Kerr in one of her frequent daily trips to heaven, yeah, you don't need a pastor in the, in the White House right now. Yeah, God told her that. You don't need a pastor. You don't need the fivefold ministry in the White House. You need a businessman who's sharp, who knows how to make money, who's not afraid of people, who can deal with international matters. This is from the highest in the land. Who yeah. pointing, she's pointing to heaven. That's No, that's not from God. Um, mm -hmm. All of us. Yeah. And he knows what's best for our country. That's amazing. Now, it's true. God does know what's best for our country, but Kat Kerr is not on speaking terms with him in that way. Uh, man, that's exciting. For those that may have not... And, and, you know, he, Schultz here is, like, totally eating this up. <gasps> oh, man, this is so exciting. She's lying to you. Some of the previous things that we've talked about, Kat, I mean, I got to know Kat starting three or four, two, three years ago, three or four mm -hmm. years ago, yeah. and we, we went on a cruise. I Actually, I went on a Heavenly Cruises cruise where Kat was the, the featured uh, speaker, and uh, that was fun. You actually came to our room to visit with my wife. And that was I, exciting. Your poor sister was looking for you all over the ship. We because... didn't know what time it was. <laughs> it was so exciting to meet you and talk with you about 
uh, your life and the things that Elijah List has done too. So I was just as captivated. We were totally unaware at the time. Yeah. Well, let's jump to uh, 2018. At, at the time of this recording, we're a few days into what's the 11th of January. We won't always date these recordings, but this one's important because yes. you're going to say some things about what's going to happen. Oh, Kat Kerr is going to prophesy into the future. No, she's not. Important for the people to know, this is January 11, 2018. That's awesome because he actually told me from now on when I speak, I will say the date. So let's jump. What a coinky dink. 2018, when did God start talking to you about this year? Uh, last year. <laughs> well, some of the things, like I said, he's been saying things to me probably over the last 40, 50 years. Uh, that far back, about Whoa. this time we're in right now, wow. about things that would happen on the earth, that the manifested sons. Yeah, all the way back then, he was already telling her stuff, yeah. Daughters, the greater works, the, which we are so, are going to be blasted away when we see what God's going to do with us. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to be blessed that way, yeah. Just sitting on pins and needles, waiting for it to show up, you know. The things Christ's position for us, ruling and reigning with Christ. What does all this mean? Then he would show me things in the Word. So I've been prepared literally, literally that long by wow. him, but stepped into the season right before the elections. He really started focusing. He's right when she stepped into the season before the elections thingy. Yeah, wow. I mean, her mind was totally blown and stuff. Yeah. I'm going to make you very political. <laughs> Make you and he political. said, I'm going to throw you out there in this election. You won't be able to go back. He said, I'm going to, I'm, you are going to tell them Trump's going to win. And I need him there. And this is what will happen. This will happen. People will try to lie and you know, cheat and lie about him. And I can tell all those people, if they ever hear this, you better step back. Because this is God's time. He chose who he wanted. He's not, going to, he's not forgotten him. He's not going to let up on what he's doing with him. And no one will win. And the next election, they won't win that either. He will. So I'll just give you that for free. All right. So prophecy regarding the next election, Trump will be reelected, according to the woman who travels to heaven on a daily basis. Trump's back for the second election. Trump's going to be here for eight years, Pence for eight years. Wow. And then the one Pence picks. I'm just going to throw it out there because the father is saying this. For 24 years, we will have God in that White House. For 24 years, God's going to be in that White House. (laughs) Heaven help us. (laughs) She she did not hear that from God. And this is so (laughs) aggravating. (sighs) The generational thing he's doing, this is not just something for a few weeks, a few months, or even a couple years that he's setting up for. When you told me that Trump was going to win, I was was intrigued, not upset, because I kind of liked the guy from the very beginning, but then these horrible things would be said, and then he would step in the mud and say things, and... And then I would write back to Cat and I'd say, are you still saying, which is, now I've learned, I don't go back to Cat and say, are you still saying, because of course, now that I know her, of course she's still yes. saying, you don't pull yes. off of the but when, when God positions a time, when the fullness of time has come, yeah. this is God's time to do something, he's strategic, that's why we're being strategic right now, that's why he's giving times and stuff. He's very strategic right now because he's setting up literally for us to have the wealth of the wicked to push back darkness. Uh, we're going to have the wealth of the wicked. It's God's setting it up, you know, with Trump and Pence, and, and God's going to be in the White House for 24 years. To find out really who we are, be a joint heir with Christ. Wow. And so he's not, and this is what he said, Trump is raw. He had a good word for him. <laughs> he said he's really raw, but I will temper him. Pence will temper him, and he will be a great leader for this country. But I'm saying all that because we had to have that. That was the foundation for this 
time. Yeah, you did because it was all a foundation to prepare for what we will be and allowed to do in this country. And I can tell you, 2018, he's calling a season of destiny. Mm, All of 2018 is the season of destiny. (sighs) This woman hasn't said anything. I mean, like anything, even (laughs) remotely lucid or even specific she she traffics in vagaries she she watches the person she's talking to and is able to mimic back to him the things that he wants to hear good gravy all right i think you get the point all right we're up on our first break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Fire Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Sid Roth. We're going to be hearing from Sharon Doherty. And, oh, boy, are we going to be hearing from Steve? Well, we'll see. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Deep in the Alpha Australian wilderness and also the typhoid-infested waters of the Bongo River, Captain Worthington and his ragtag group of men have found themselves to be hopelessly lost. Surrounded by the vicious savages of the Hamuku tribe, and now the TP has run out. It's been 27 days without food, and Private Jenkins doesn't care. Oh, do shut up, Nigel! We don't need you narrating every little thing that goes on. It's bad enough already. We don't need you reminding everyone about it. Sorry. Now, gentlemen, the hour is dying. There's not much hope of us getting out of this predicament with our lives or sanity. What are we going to do, Captain? Well, we can do one of two things. We can either die in a blaze of glory, charging the Hibuku tribe in battle, or sit on the riverbank saying to ourselves, Oh, mommy, mommy, please make the bad people go away. I vote for the second one. Shut the noise, you pansy. Now, Captain, I have an idea that might just save our hides from the impending doom on the other side of the tree line. Well, out with it, man. Out with it. I happen to have... In my possession, a copy of Zondervan's latest book, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer. Well, that's excellent news. We have TP again. Woo-hoo. No, no, no. We're not using it for that. Then what exactly are we using it for? Uh, It says this. With this volume, you can command and control the very will of God with relative ease. Uh Are you sure we can do that? Well, the, the book says we can. Is there any proof? Well, Stephen Furtick did write the introduction where he explains how it's changed his life. Well, um, how does it work? Simple. We can choose from any one of these prayers. (laughs) Captain Worthington, a book of approaching! 
Blasted! Perkins, get your act together and start reading from the book. It's our only chance. I don't know which one to read first. Uh, which ones do you have to choose from? Well, there's the uh, Scenting Prayer, the Circle Maker Prayer, the Prayer of Jabez. The, the Circle one. Let's go with that one. Okay, the book says to draw a circle around what you're praying for. Well, that's us. Quick, men, draw a circle in the dirt around us. Step two, begin to pray for whatever it is that you're in need of. I really want a Ferrari. A Ferrari. You nitwit, we need protection. Now pray, audaciously. Oh, Lord, we are not going to leave this circle until you rescue us from our enemies. Amen. Thank God, Nigel! Are you sure? Pretty sure. Unless he can breathe without his head being attached to his neck. Oh, damn. Well, there goes our narrator. What are we going to do, sir? Well, the circle prayer didn't work, so let's try something else. Packin'! Working on it, sir, I, I think I got it. <laughs> I, I don't believe it's a... The Hubuku Drive They now have catapults! Jumping Jehoshaphat! This next prayer had better work, Perkins! This one will work. It's the, uh, it's the Sun Sandstone Prayer. What good will that do? It's in the middle of the night! Doesn't matter what you think. This is sure to work. We just have to have audacious enough faith to ask God for the impossible. You heard the man. Get praying. I still want a Ferrari, a pet raptor, no debts, Ooh, and better sex. You're just not getting this, are you? Captain, they, 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 they now, now have, have the, the well, this is impossible. Oh, my God. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and... It's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Uh, now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out!
Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Cat Kerr doesn't hear from God and she doesn't travel to heaven every day. Because she doesn't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. Actually, there's a third button that says become a patron. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to become a patron, click on the Become a Patron button. It'll take you over to Patreon. You can... Do, you can support us that way. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's uh, reset the table here. Here we go. an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row, big one, small one, some as big as your head, give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Roly bola ball, roly bola ball, singing roly bola ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're heading over to the Sid Roth. It's supernatural program. This uh was released on January 28th of this year. And uh, it's conversations about uh, the Pentecostal superstar, uh, Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, and you might want to consider that what we're going to hear is violent, so this may not be appropriate for little ears. That's all I'm saying. Here we go. Welcome to my world, where it's naturally supernatural. I have read of the great men and women of faith. One in particular intrigues me so much. His name, Smith Wigglesworth. He had some of the most outrageous miracles I ever heard of in my life. Mm, Outrageous miracles. They're outrageous. Um, don't believe for a second this was miraculous. Let me give you one example. Some parents had a two-month-old baby dying in the hospital. The parents kidnapped the child, took the child to a Smith Wigglesworth meeting, and Smith looks at the child, looks at the parents and says, can I do what God tells me to do? Well, what would you do if you were the parents? The child's dying anyway, right? He takes the baby... 
two-month-old, throws the baby against the wall. The baby. That. What? Threw the dying baby against the wall. What? The baby's on the floor. He ta- have you ever seen someone play soccer? Have you ever seen them uh, kick a soccer ball? He does that with the baby. The baby. What? He physically assaults this child by throwing it against the wall and then kicking it like a soccer ball. This reminds me of Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley saying, you know, that uh, he, God told him to kick a woman with stomach cancer in, in the stomach with his biker boot. Things like, this is, this is not God the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know who this deity is that would tell Smith Wigglesworth to do such reprehensible things. But the fact that Sid Roth would read this account and go, oh, yeah, that's totally the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural, man. This is the best thing. This is, this is demonic. He falls into the congregation. No crying. Is it dead? 100% healed. No. Yeah, I don't believe it. Don't buy it for a second. God, the Holy... Jesus never, and I mean never, took a dying baby and then threw it against a wall or anything like that. There's nothing like this in Scripture. This is unbelievable. Let's listen a little bit more as he goes on to actually interview the great-granddaughter of Smith Wigglesworth. You know, Will, I can't... Imagine what it was like growing up in your home uh, where your mother lived uh, very close to your great-grandfather. Sid, she told me one of her favorite nights was Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, the family would go to Grandpa Wigglesworth's house. And she said the presence of God was so strong in that house. Yeah, that that wouldn't be the presence of God. That might be a demonic presence. That wasn't the presence of God. There's something about your great-grandfather I've always wondered. He was a pretty um, uh, rough person. He would punch people that were dying in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And the people there, I mean, literally the audience shot is these people are amazed and astounded, like in shock and awe and wonder. This is so great. This is utterly demonic on its face. He would kick them. Do you know why he did that? Well, my mom and dad explained to me that he operated in the discerning of spirits very strongly. No, he didn't. And so when he was praying for the sick, he would see the demonic spirit behind the sickness. Mm. And that... Mm. So, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
what he was punching. That's what he was hitting. Yeah, it wasn't the person, although the, the you know the baby felt the the kick from Smith Wigglesworth and felt the wall, you know, smashing against the wall. That wasn't really. Smith Wigglesworth wasn't really kicking and punching the baby or the people or and stuff. No, he was kicking and punching the demon that was causing the illness. Uh-huh. Sometimes. No, no, he, he punched people in the stomach. He did. <laughs> but that's where the spirit was. The demon yes. was. I get it. <laughs> this is... I, I mean, this is calling evil good. This is unbelievable. I, I I just don't have words for it. It has been a long time since I have seen something that disturbing, that I mean surreal, and and that was put out as an actual broadcast. You can still watch that. They haven't pulled it. They're not ashamed of it. They think that that was a legitimate thing of God. That God had nothing to do with. Any of that. All right, let's switch it up a little bit here. And uh, yeah, I'm looking. We may not be able to get to the uh, <clears throat> the you know, rapture prophecies until next week. But uh, let's head over to Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as Pastrick's Sharon Dougherty tries to explain to us how to hear the voice of God. And she's not going to explain that the you know the only way you really know that you hear God's voice is by opening up your Bible. Here she is. Thank you that we're open to you. We're open. We're we're saying, Lord, speak into us. We want we want everything you have. And Lord, we believe for the supernatural of your Spirit, Lord, in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to talk to you this morning about knowing God's voice and then learning how to move in the sensitivity to follow his leading in our lives. Do you know God doesn't want just people on a platform to move in the Holy Spirit? He wants believers. Notice she says sensitivity. Usually psychics are called sensitives. Never heard of Christians being called sensitives. That's weird. I mean, that's just totally backwards, upside down, inside out. And nowhere in Scripture are we admonished on how to be sensitive to the voice of God. How many believers in here today? I thought so. He wants believers to move in his power, in his Holy Spirit. Well, if God wants believers to move in power in his Holy Spirit, why doesn't God have believers move in power in his Holy Spirit? Makes it sound like it's up to me to kind of figure out how that works. Hmm. A lot of times people wonder, does God still speak today? In fact, here recently there was a television program. I didn't see it, but people told me about it. But uh, on this television program, there was a host, TV host, that she, she made the statement. She said, you know, it's one thing to talk to God. It's another thing when people say God talks to them. She said, I just think that's kind of crazy. In fact, I think that's dangerous. I think Christian. God does talk to us through his written word. All scripture is God-breathed. They anoust us. Mm -hmm. It's inspired, infallible, inerrant. It is the word of God. God speak to, speaks to us through his word. Who say that God talks to them. I think they must be crazy. They must be, and they're probably dangerous. 
you know what? I don't think I'm crazy. I don't think I'm dangerous. But I do know God still speaks. God's been talking ever since the beginning. In fact, Genesis chapter one, it says, God said, let there be and everything became. He spoke this whole world into existence with his words. And then in Genesis chapter two, when he, he told Adam and Eve, don't eat of that one tree. He spoke again to Adam. He said, you can eat of all the trees, but not that one. Because that's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat it, then you'll surely die. And so Genesis chapter three, we see how another voice came into the garden. Folks, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 10 says there's many voices around us. Indeed. And there's only one place that you can go right now. And know with certainty you're hearing the voice of God. And that is the written word of God. Mm -hmm. And I would remind you that as the Apostle Paul is uh, finishing up his course, the Apostle Paul in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he literally says to young Pastor Timothy, here's what he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned. He's getting ready to die. Paul's getting ready to die. He says to uh, Timothy, Continue in what you've learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Sacred writings. Uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture, graphes, that's writings, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every, not some, every good work. The Apostle Paul, as he's finishing up his course, is pointing, is pointing Timothy to none other than the written Word of God and saying it will prepare you for every good work and you are to continue in it. Consider this also. Peter, as he's getting ready to finish up his course and uh, go to be with Christ, Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not fall, follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, uh, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, he heard the actual voice of the Father. He heard it. But listen to what he says to the Christians as he's getting ready to die. Uh-huh. It says, we heard this voice, we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word, which is the written word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, that first of all, no prophecy of Scripture, graphes, comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Both Paul and Peter, as they are getting ready to die, their last words literally are, pay attention to the graphes, the written word of God. It will equip you for every good work. And Peter says this is even more sure than the voice he heard on the Mount of Transfiguration. We are to pay attention to that. So what Shannon Doherty has said is true. There are lots of voices. And believe me when I tell you, 
There is only one place you can go and know with absolute certainty you are hearing the voice of God, and that's the Bible. We continue. And particularly, there's the stranger's voice that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 4 and verse 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice. The stranger's voice, they won't follow. It didn't mean they won't hear it. It just means they won't follow. And so we understand there's a lot of voices. And so that in Genesis 3, when the enemy came into the garden and he began to question God's word to Adam and Eve, then he lied to them. He said it wasn't like God said. And then he made the fruit appealing and so they took of it. Well, right after that, it says God's voice came walking in the garden. Yeah. I mean, God was still talking even though they had sinned. Do you know God still talks even when people have sinned? He's still talking. And so then he, he continued talking. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, we read where Cain... Cain was upset because God had accepted Abel's offering, but had not accepted his. Well, God had already made it clear to Adam and Eve that they had to bring a blood sacrifice to come into his presence, a blood of animals. And so that meant... No, that was not ever laid out. You just added something to scripture. It wasn't their own works that they were bringing before God. Cain brought his works and he got mad because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept his. And so God talked to Cain. Here's Cain. He's in rebellion. He's in, he's mad. He's in offense. And God's trying to talk to Cain. He says, Cain, stop thinking that way, or you're going to do something you'll regret. Well, Cain didn't stop and he killed his brother. I'm definitely not hearing the voice of God. This woman is twisting scripture. This is what the devil does. This is what the devil did when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. The devil quoted the scriptures to Jesus and twisted them. Uh Uh-huh. And so then he was a marked man. Later we see how God spoke to to, to Noah. Noah, God God said, I'm going to start all over. The earth is filled with corruption and violence, and I'm going to start all over with you and your family. But God talked to Noah and told him what to do. I want you to build an ark. With all the people that God would talk to, God, when he spoke, they needed to do something to follow through with what he said. Abraham, Abraham, Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, leave your family, leave your comfort zone, leave your securities of where you are and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Now, Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham went out on that word from God, that voice not knowing where he was going. You see, when God's voice speaks in us, we don't always know what's ahead. You know, it's weird. I know that the written word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that women are not permitted to preach in Christ's church and to exercise authority over a man. That's what the voice of God clearly says in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. I know this woman is disobeying that clear command of the voice of God. And I also know she is twisting God's word to get us to listen to voices that are other than the word, the voice of God. That's exactly what's going on here. 
Her claiming, well, God spoke to Abraham, gave him something to do, talked to Noah, gave him something to do. So when God talks to you, he's going to give you something to do too. This is a derivative of the dream destiny thingy doctrine, and this is false. But we have to trust the voice. We have to trust God's word to our... No, I trust the written word of God. I don't trust any other voices. And so his leading. So... Abram, he acted on that, that voice, and then God began to unfold things, and Abram began to be called the father of our faith because he stepped out in faith on the voice. Today, I want to talk to you about that, how that you, you and I, God wants us to move out of our comfort zone, move beyond our securities, move beyond that. No, he doesn't. No biblical text says that. Place where we feel like we got a handle on everything. And he wants us to move in his spirit. He wants us to move us into his realm of the spirit because he needs his people to bring this great harvest of souls into the kingdom of God in the last days. And you may say, well, I'm not a preacher. No, but you're a believer. And as a believer, the Holy Spirit's in you for a purpose. Jesus, when he told his disciples, he said, now I'm going to go away. I'm not my physical presence, not going to be with you. But he said, I'm going to send you another helper. And this was the word parakletos in John chapter 14, 17. He said, he will come to be a helper to you. And so the disciples, they had been so used to Jesus being with them physically, you know, that it was, I mean, it was really hard for them to think, what are we going to do when he's not here? We've leaned on him. And when we mess up, I mean, he makes up for it. He, He covers us. And so Now he's gone, but he told him, go and wait upon the Holy Spirit. He's going to endue with power. So they did. They went to pray and and got endued with power in the book of Acts. We see that. And the whole book of Acts is about movement of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit moved in them and then moved through them and through others and how people, masses of people were getting saved because of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them, allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through them. And what? No text in Acts says that the reason why they were able to do this is because they allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through them. The Holy Spirit is not the force from the Star Wars universe. Oh, we are again at this moment where every move of God's Spirit, every move of revival or move of God's Spirit, awakenings that have happened throughout history, and every one of them. People have had to believe and move in faith upon a voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And and I assure you, the voice that she's trying to teach them and introduce them to and get them to follow, it, it ain't the Holy Spirit. No, I can tell because she's mangled God's word. This woman is very deceived and she is deceiving people to get them to listen to a voice other than God's voice had to discern the voices around them. Like I said a while ago, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 10, there are many voices in the world around us pulling on us. And we have to discern which is the voice of God. And then we've got to follow that voice. And I'm going to share with you. So you, you, you got to learn how to discern. You could be totally deceived, but you, you, one of those voices out there is going to maybe probably be the voice of God. So you got to Learn how to, what? 
I would point you to the one place you can go. That would be the written word of God. That's where you're going to hear God's voice. And he's promised that that's his voice. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit of our story today. Because I, I first heard this voice when I was 16 and I surrendered my life. See, I believe there's a point in our life we have to surrender. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. But I surrendered at age 16. And when I did, I heard that very moment that I surrendered. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. I've called you in ministry. I didn't know that third one, what that was going to be because... I called you in the ministry. That in the, I know that's not the voice of God. God does not call women into the pastoral ministry. Because the written word of God, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, and a command of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 14 and uh, 1 Timothy 2, makes it clear that women cannot be doing what this woman is doing. She claimed the voice told her that he, it was calling her into ministry. That wasn't the voice of God. At that time, there wasn't any women, people, women ministers that I knew of, except for one real liberal lady that I didn't want to be like her. But anyway, I, uh, I just kept that to myself. But my dad, my dad recognized the Holy Spirit moving in my life. See, when you... No, that wasn't the Holy Spirit because the voice that you heard contradicts the clear written word of God. That means whatever voice you heard, it wasn't God's, may have been your own sinful heart or the demonic, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would never call you to do something that his written word forbids you to do. Wow. Okay. I think you get the point. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to end the week off with a good sermon from Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charman. A little bit more of his Luther's thesis on the Heidelberg Disputation. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you're a weather warrior, it's time to lay down your weapons. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. with a good sermon. Let's do this right. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon is Two Sorts of Theologian, and uh, this is a series he's been doing on Luther's Heidelberg Theses, and this is just fantastic what we're going to be listening to. It makes the distinction between the theologian of glory and the theologian of the cross. Very important distinctions if you're going to rightly understand God's word and protect yourself from false teachers. False teachers are always theologians of glory, self-glory at that. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Our scripture reading this afternoon is found in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians and chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians is written to what was a a major commercial centre, Corinth being a location where there was a portage, to use a technical term, a causeway where ships could be towed across a a narrow isthmus cutting the journey from one part of the one end of Greece to the other quite considerably. It was an important commercial city 
and therefore one of the places that Paul had visited in his ministry and a church had been planted. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Kephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world. 
and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Now we are looking in these studies at Luther's Heidelberg Theses, which, of course, are drawn by Luther primarily from the writings of the Apostle Paul, from the epistles. They're drawing upon the Holy Scriptures, and they are a unity. There is a progression to the theses, so that theses 1 to 12 are dealing with works, the works of men and the works of God. Theses 13 to 18 deal with the essential question in the Reformation, the will of man. Is man's will free or bound in sin? And then we, we have come to Theses 19 through 22, really. This question of the two types of theologians, the two approaches that people take when they are studying the word of God. And those two approaches are, of course, the right approach and the wrong approach. The approach that is subject to the word of God and the approach that tries to subject the word of God to itself. Luther said in Thesis 18, it is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. You will remember that the dispute really was that the medieval theologian said that we retain some free will and if we do what is in us, then we will be able to please God. And Luther's reply is, if we do what's in us, we sin. Because we're sinners and that's what's in us. And so we have to be brought to the very end of our own ability to say, I can do nothing of myself to please God, that in me there dwells no good thing, and then receive the grace of God as a free gift and not something that we earn. And then in Thesis 19 he says, That person does not deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things which have actually happened. And thesis 20, he deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. And Luther calls these two approaches to theology that the work, the approach of the theologian of glory, the two types of theologians are the theologian of glory and a theologian of the cross. And Thesis 21, he says, a theologian of glory calls evil good and good evil. A theologian of the cross calls the things what they actually are, calls things what they actually are. <clears throat> 
And he says effectively that on the one hand, that first of all, you've got this question about what people are looking at. What are you seeing? And secondly, what are you saying as a result of what you see? There's a sense in which everybody is a theologian. The late R.C. Sproul wrote a book entitled Everyone's a Theologian because everybody has an opinion about God. If you don't believe me, go up in the marketplace and talk to people and you'll find everyone's got an opinion about God. But of course, there are good theologians and bad theologians. There are those who what they say about God is true and those who say things about God that are not true. And first of all, Luther deals with this question of the things which are seen. And the bad theologian, the theologian of glory, looks upon the invisible things of the world, the invisible things of God, as though they were clearly perceptible, and that word clearly is central, in those things which have actually happened. That is to say that he begins with the approach... I look on the world and my understanding of the world, the way I see the world, is right and true and accurate. And I can look through the world and go, as some have put it, through nature to nature's God. So I look at the world and my experience, my understanding, that is the key to understand the things of God. Now there is such a thing as natural revelation. God, being the creator, has left, as it were, his mark, his stamp upon the created order, upon the world. It's just as when you, you take a pot, take one of the, the cups, perhaps, that's made in the factories in Stoke, and you, you look at it and you can, you can see, it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago I was over in Lime Park, Stockport area with my, my mother and my brother. And we were having lunch in the tea rooms there, in the, the restaurant, in the, the basement of the, the mansion. And they brought the cups and saucers in and I thought, ah, that's Dudson's. I recognise that. Because there's a, um, there's a certain mark, and of course you, you go out and you're not sure it is what these things are, you check what's on the bottom of the, the cup after drinking out of it, of course, and you can see the stamp of the manufacturer. And it's the same thing with the creation. God has stamped his mark on the creation. So Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The creation bears witness to the creator. And Luther in, his, uh, in this thesis makes a reference in the thesis itself, which is relatively unusual in these theses, to an actual biblical text, which is Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. So reading from verse 19, 
Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Natural revelation, as one has put it, means that everybody knows enough about God to condemn them. There is the witness, and that's why the Apostle can say that everybody is suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. Because it's as plain as the nose on your face that there's a creator. And in fact, the further down you go in terms of science, the more complex you see the creation is, the harder it becomes to believe, that is to say, all things considered, the harder it becomes to believe that this is all the result of some random accident. Now, at secondary school, we were taught that a, a cell is a sort of bag of gel with stuff floating around inside it. And I always remember the first lecture, and I did biology at uh, A-level, the first lecture the biology teacher said, right, the first thing you need to know about A-level biology is that everything you learned at GCSE biology is either grossly oversimplified or just plain wrong. It's so simplified, the point is, it's so simplified that actually it's pretty much worthless. You were taught this in order to pass your exams, not because this is the way things really are. That's literally what the teacher said. And then, of course, you'll, you launch into the realities that you can see in electron microscopes, the realities of the enormous complexity, simply of a single cell, let alone a whole body made up of them. And yet, you've got someone like Richard Dawkins, who is an intelligent man, a clever man, who is making, biblically speaking, a fool of himself by going around saying there is no God. The Bible, of course, says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So he's literally, biblically, making a fool of himself. And this is because people suppress this truth, but you can know something about God, the existence of God, the reality of God from the creation. But to really understand God, you need special revelation. You need the word of God. But the bad theologian, the theologian of glory, looks on the things that are seen and constructs a theology that's based on his own likings, his own experience. How often do we get in the open air, well, the God I believe in. I don't care about the God you believe in. What about the God who really is? That's the question. The God who has revealed himself in Christ. But what the theologian of glory does is he he looks on himself and he, he sees, and particularly in this context in Luther, he's thinking about this idea about free will. And you and I know that we make genuine choices all the time. We choose. You go into a restaurant, and you've got the menu, and you go through the menu, and you choose. 
But you know, there's another thing that we need to remember. What we choose is what we like. It's not an absolutely free choice. If you have put something before me and there's a, an item on the menu that contains avocado, I will not touch it with a barge pole. It doesn't matter how many times you run that scenario, the choice will always be what it is because I have a nature, a character, a, a liking. And that, of course, is what the free will theologian misses that people aren't just blank slates who approach things as blank slates. They're people. And the reality is that the fall has affected every one of us so that we make sinful choices because we're sinners. We don't, we're not sinners because we make sinful choices. We make sinful choices because we're sinners. And that's, the, of course, the great distinction between... The biblical teaching and the teaching that is sadly so common these days, that's out and out Pelagianism, that is that every human being is born as though they were a new creation, a new Adam. No. Every human being is born fallen in Adam. Because one man sinned Adam, then sin passed upon all of his descendants. So all in Romans chapter 5. But what the theologian of glory does, he looks on the fact, oh, I make real choices. Therefore, my real choices, so he imagines, outweigh God's power. What well, is, uh, again, to quote the, the late R.C. Sproul, man is free and God is free. And when man's freedom comes up against God's freedom, man loses. But you see, Our freedom is not the same sort of freedom that God's is. And yet people imagine it is. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the apostle is very clear here. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And then verse 19, it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Now he's writing to Corinth. Which is this cosmopolitan city with its debating societies, with its philosophical schools. And the Corinthians were basically Romans. Because, yes, there had been a city at Corinth that uh, was immensely wicked. And the Romans had wiped it off the face of the map. They'd gone in there about 100 years before Paul. They'd slaughtered all the men and sold all the women and children to slavery. But because Corinth is a strategic location, a good place and port, the Romans had then gone in themselves and built a new Roman city. So the Corinthians were basically Romans. They had among them, of course, immigrants, Greeks, non-Romans, but they were basically the character of Corinth was Roman. And the Romans had this sort of inferiority complex via via the Greeks. They wanted to be Greeks. This is why you've got the, the Roman national myth is basically made up 
based off Homer's Iliad, claiming that the Romans are descended from Trojans who escaped from Troy. And so, really, we Romans do have a place in the classical myths after all. The Romans had this great inferiority complex. They wanted to be seen as Greeks. And, of course, the Greeks loved their philosophy. And if the Greeks loved the philosophy, the Romans loved it even more. Because they wanted to be Greeks. But in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. The wisdom of the world, the Greek philosophers, the Roman philosophers, spent ages, ages speculating based on the world. They looked at what they saw and they speculated. And some of them speculated in absolute vacuum. They said, what's the perfect shape? Or what's the perfect number? And these were simply speculations. What's God like? And none of this, because it was all based on their own experience, not God's revelation in Christ. None of it was worth anything. The world through wisdom did not know God. Indeed, much of it was a matter of running away from God, about creating gods in their own image because of the sin of man. Because although they knew God, Romans 1.21, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The theologian of glory looks on the created world and says, I can know God through the creation. I can see through it clearly. But the faithful theologian looks on the cross of Christ. He looks on the cross. So 1 Corinthians 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about the cross. The cross is absolutely central. And everything else is interpreted by the cross. The cross is at the centre of the Holy Scriptures. That's why, if you remove the cross from that position, you can't understand the Bible. That's why the the modern Jew is all at sea with the Old Testament. That's why they won't open Isaiah 53 and read it in the synagogues. Because it's darkness because they refuse the cross. But the cross is absolutely central. The cross shows us who God is. As nothing else possibly can. That he is just and holy and merciful and gracious. The cross is the ultimate revelation of God. In which we see the son of God. Offering himself to the father by the eternal spirit. We see the trinity 
in the cross. We see the, the love of God in the cross. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see in the cross all the majesty of God. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1.18 It's foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Those whose eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit look at the cross. And everything is interpreted through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole mission culminates in the cross, centers in the cross. The church's teaching is that of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not him as an example. He is an example. He's a great example. But the centre is that he is Jesus Christ crucified, our saviour. When we look to him now as our intercessor, he's our intercessor because of the cross. He's shed his blood, Jesus, my great high priest. He's offered himself and died. And he's entered into the most holy place. And all of this is only understandable because of the cross. It's right at the centre of the Bible. Right at the centre of the revelation of God. The whole of the Old Testament prepares us for the cross. The New Testament leads us to the cross in the Gospels and shows us the meaning of the cross, unfolds the meaning of the cross in the rest, well, in the whole of it. It's right there in the middle. And so what the faithful theologian does is to look on the cross, the suffering of Christ upon the cross is everything. And so that is what is seen. Is it the created order only? With the idea that somehow this shows us what God is like? Or is it the cross which shows us what God is like and interprets everything else? And what we see then affects what we say. A theologian of glory calls evil good and good evil. Again, Luther's Theses up to this point have been talking about two great things, works and the will. And his point is this, a theologian of glory calls human works good and the human will good. But they're evil. They are not what they ought to be. He who does not know Christ, Luther says, does not know God hidden in suffering. Therefore he prefers works to suffering, glory to the cross, strength to weakness, wisdom to folly, and in general good to evil. Or so he thinks. But of course, as the apostle says here, the foolishness of God, that is that which God does that people think is foolish, is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we see him crucified in weakness, is stronger than men. The trouble is that people, the theologian of glory, looks at this and says, but I don't like it. 
The theologian of glory is like Job's comforters who looked at Job and there he was suffering and they said, Job, you've done something horribly wrong because if you weren't, if you hadn't done something horribly bad, you wouldn't be suffering. And repent, so repent and turn and everything will be fine. And Job replies, I've done nothing that deserves this. And of course, we, as we read the book, we've read the first two chapters. We know the reason Job's suffering isn't that he's the most wicked man, it's that he's the most righteous man. Not that he's perfect and sinless, but that his suffering is a result of the devil's attack upon him for his righteousness. But the theologian of glory looks upon this suffering for the sake of Christ and says it's evil. Suffering for the sake of God? How ridiculous! The greatest manifestation of the, the of the the work of the theologian of glory today is what's called the health and wealth, the prosperity teaching, the teaching that says that if you're a Christian, you should never suffer any illness and you should be very rich. And that is a lie from the pit of hell that's intended to make. Christians miserable and most of all to exploit people who are told that the way to achieve health, wealth, etc. is to give lots and lots of money to the theologians of glory who will spend it on private yachts, jets and expensive cars. It's a a theology, a teaching of the theologians of glory. And again it's a, a, a more subtle sense form is seen in this which says that we are saved by our works. I quoted last week, I quoted again, the Book of Mormon says that we're saved by grace after all that we can do. The Bible says we're saved by grace in spite of all that we can do and without all that we can do. But most people believe what the Book of Mormon says. They don't, now most people don't believe the Book of Mormon, but at that point they listen They prefer what the Book of Mormon says to what the Bible says. Because the Book of Mormon is the product of a a theologian of glory called Joseph Smith. And it's work, 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 work. And God will be pleased with you. So our works are called good. But the Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Again, the theologian of glory looks upon the cross and says away with the cross look at a Mormon place of worship and you won't find a cross anywhere you go to the Jehovah's Witnesses and they deny the cross because the cross is shameful because the cross doesn't work with our works it's a puzzle the cross is a puzzle to the theologian of glory how is it The theologian of glory, the Muslim. Islam is about works. The the Muslim comes and says, well the cross can't have happened, a prophet can't have been crucified. It's a puzzle to them. Because it's a performance based theology. And they call the cross then evil. They look at suffering and they say suffering is always evil. It's a funny thing. You know, the people who raise the the question of suffering as an objection to the cross are normally those who aren't suffering very much. It's not 
It's not people living in shanty towns in Africa who say, well, children dying is a, an indictment of the goodness of God. It's people living in comfortable houses in the West where child mortality is incredibly low, except, of course, by abortion of healthy children because the parents don't want them, but that's swept under the rug. It's those who, where infant mortality is incredibly low, who say infant mortality is an objection to the goodness of God. Suffering, they say, it's always evil and wrong. But is it? God is working in this world. And it does involve a working through suffering. The Apostle Paul had his thorn in the flesh. Job had his terrible suffering. Things which ultimately worked out for good. Because all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. We don't necessarily understand at the time how they're working together for good, but we know that they are. So the theologian of glory calls evil good and good evil. The theologian of a cross, on the other hand, calls things what they are. Calls a spade a spade. Calls human nature what it is. Namely, corrupt, lost and ruined by the fall. The theologian of the cross looks at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and sees how terrible our state must be if God himself had to take human nature and die for us so that we could be saved. If our salvation is such that it requires the incarnate God to die then how terrible and awful our state is. Again, the theologian of the cross looks upon the world and sees wicked men doing wicked things and doesn't do what so many theologians of glory try to do with those who are more atheistically inclined and shift it all off to God and say, well, man's good, the problem must be God, but says, man's bad. You, know, you had this, this, this awful shooting in America. 17 people murdered in a high school. And what do we say? We say that the, the, the lad who did it did evil and is evil. Because it is an evil thing to commit murder. Which is against the law of God who says you shall not murder calling a thing what it is, not calling the will of man basically good. This is a great lie that so many believe that, well, people are basically good. Well, the Bible shows us that people are basically bad. But just we're very good at kidding ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The theologian of glory says, I am free. The theologian of the cross says, man is by nature born a slave of sin. 
the theologian of glory says, when the Lord, when the Lord Jesus Christ said to those Jews who believed him, John 8:31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they, being good theologians of glory, said, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Calls evil, evil, and good, good, by pointing to the cross and saying the cross is not a mistake. It's not a disaster. It's not a terrible thing. The cross is the only hope that there is. May it never be, says the Apostle Paul, that I should boast save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is right there in the middle. The theologian of the cross proclaims that it is good and altogether good and the only hope there is in all the world is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and says of the sufferings of believers that it is an honour. That's what the apostle said. It's an honour for them to suffer for the name of Christ. Now, now that's not an easy word to accept, but that's what the Bible says. And says of our present sufferings, the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. The cross is everything, or it is nothing. Let us then be theologians of the cross. We are not all called to be academic theologians, but we are all called to be theologians, as in those who think of God and speak of God. And let us be theologians of the cross, who look at the cross of the Lord Jesus. The cross is everything. The cross is everything. And as we look upon the cross, we see the cross and see the glory of God, the revelation of God there, it interprets everything else for us. And therefore, we speak accordingly, telling it like it is. I'll just close with an illustration about this. You know that really until the 17th, 16th, 17th centuries, most people in the West thought that the, the earth was in the centre and everything revolved around the earth, because that's what the Greeks said. That's what... The majority opinion of Greek philosophy was. The trouble was that as they observed the planets, it doesn't really work because you've got these planets, they move and they go back and they move. And it's sort of, what's going on? It all seems a little bit overcomplicated. And then along came Copernicus and said, well, what if we put the sun in the middle and these, you've got these spherical orbits or the, these circular orbits around the sun, and still you had to have these planets going back on themselves. And then Johann Kepler came along and said, what if, what if the orbits aren't circular, but elliptical? 
You put that model in and the planets don't go back on themselves and everything is seen to move and to work the way it actually does. See, the moment, the moment he got rid of that idea that they've got to be circular and stepped back and looked at things not the way he thought they ought to be, because the Greeks had the circle as the perfect figure, you see. Not as they ought to be, but as they were, everything makes sense. So it is, if we look on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and allow the cross to interpret everything, then, then it makes sense. And then we can see things as they are and tell them and tell it like it is. And may God help us so to do. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.